Hey guys, it's Melissa and Mandy with the Moms and Murder podcast. We're a true crime podcast that's sure to make you laugh without compromising the seriousness of the content. Despite our name, we aren't just for the moms. Our show is for all the Diet Coke drinking, chicken loving, dateline watching people in your life. Come for the murder and stay for the witty humor and pop culture references. And you never know, you may even hear from some of your favorite names in the world of true crime. Like Dateline's Josh Mankiewicz. Do you have a preference on what we call you, Josh Mankiewicz, Manx, Sir Manx a lot? Uh, I don't hear Sir, Sir Manx a lot quite as often as I. <laughs> I can make it happen for you. I will make it happen. Broken Homicide's Derek Lavasser. Are you tearing up on me? I saw you waiting. <laughs> so beautiful, everything you're saying. <laughs> or even America's sweetheart, Ali Sweeney. The neighbors suggested that perhaps Kathleen had been attacked by an owl. The owl theory um, that Melissa and Allie Sweeney believe. Again, so judgy. (laughs) Check out Moms and Murder anywhere podcasts are found. Well, hey there, I'm Cody Bruce. I'm Jonathan Rimmelard. And I'm Jordan Hobbs. And we're the Out of Hand Podcast. What is Out of Hand Podcast? We are a weekly current events show. We release every Monday, but we talk about sports, politics, entertainment, and everything in between. Heck yeah. And then you can find us on that podcast app, and then that Stitcher app, and then them other apps where you can find other podcasts too. That's right. Yep. And you can follow us on social media at Out of Hand Podcast on Facebook and Instagram. O U T T A. That's right. We'd like to thank our good buddy Justin Remmel for giving us this opportunity. Uh, keep listening to Mysterious Circumstances Podcast. We damn sure will. Hell and yeah. Be sure to listen to Out of Hand Podcast as well. Thank you. All right. Before we get going on this episode, I do have to thank some new patrons Connie, Andrew, Brenda, Michael, Aaron. Jen, Marie, and Laura. Thank you guys so much. I appreciate it. It helps out a lot. Uh, I do have a bunch of reviews to read at the end of this episode after the outro music. Uh, We do have enough reviews for the Wyatt Earp episode we did last time, so uh, Wyatt Earp will be coming at the end of this month. It'll be in a lot more timely fashion because I've actually already started researching it because during Doc Holiday I ran into a lot of Wyatt Earp research, so that'll be really, really cool. Another thing would be uh, the Ned Kelly episode. I only have, I think I need like five more reviews from Australia for a Ned Kelly episode. Uh, Canada, Canada volunteered their reviews for the Wyatt Earp episode, which is cool. And I also got an additional, uh, amount of reviews to do a bonus episode in September on John Dillinger. So that'll be coming up too, which will be pretty badass. Um, next up, um, is a huge shout out to my anonymous benefactor over in Sweden. He did not want to be named. He knows who he is. Uh, he offered to build me a website for the podcast. So coming here soon, within the next week or two, uh, you are going to see the mcpodcast.com spring up. Uh, it's going to have all the episodes, the merch store on there, all kinds of cool shit. He literally volunteered to build the whole thing and uh, finance it for the first year. I can't even tell you how amazing that is. That's so freaking awesome. You know, thank you. Thank you very much. He knows who he is. Uh, Next up on the list is my other podcast that I have started. I do have another podcast. It is called Rev96, R-E-V-9-6. It is absolutely nothing but creepypastas, real ghost stories. It is scripted. It has music. Uh, It's very 
non-conversational. Uh, it's kind of the opposite of this, but that is where all my uh, scary ghost story and creepypasta episodes will be now. I am not on iTunes yet. I am only on Podbean for the moment, but I do have a Facebook page with the link to my first episode, which was posted last week. Um, you can visit the uh, the Facebook page. Um, I am on Twitter, at Rev96. I'm on Instagram, at Rev96Pod. Like I said, I'm also on Facebook. Um, speaking of Facebook, you know, stop by, stop by the MC, uh, Facebook page like that, uh, join the group. We have lots of good times in there. I'm going to tell you right now for the hundredth time, if you do not answer the questions to get into the group, you're not going to get into the group. My mod, my moderators are, they know the rules. They are very dead set on that. And, um, that's just the way it is. So, uh, with all that aside, uh, thank you everybody who came out to the um, live show in Indianapolis. It was a success. We had a great time. So so much fun. We had so much fun. Um, so thank you everybody again for stopping out, watching us do our thing. Um, we did not record our episodes like we did last time. So my next Patreon episode will be the episode that I did at the live show. It'll only be about a half an hour long. Uh, I am still covering the Ketty murders on the Patreon as well. Um, that is coming along very nicely. I know it's taken forever. Just please have patience with me because I can personally guarantee you, I listen to every podcast about the Ketty murders and I am legit going to give you the most detailed one that you have ever fucking heard because there's so much going on with that case and it's actually starting to gain a lot more steam in the news as of right now too. So there's some current things going on with it as well. So just hang tight. Trust me, you're going to get that. It's it's going to be a long-ass episode too. So with all that behind us, my name is Justin. This is Mysterious Circumstances. And you're listening to Doc Holiday Part 3. When the Herbs made up their mind to go down and confront the McLowrys and their group, for Doc, it was a no-brainer. He was going to back their play no matter what. This famous gunfight is the most legendary shootout of the real West. In the small towns and farms outside Tombstone, many saw the Earps as unprovoked killers and the dead men as innocent victims. The biggest misconception people have about Doc Holliday is that he was simply White Earp's sidekick. Doc's his own man who chooses to live by chance and violence over dying in a sickbed. Doc Holliday's anger, fueled by a life cut short, desperate to die on his own terms, for 15 years, he lives in the shadow of certain death. The Cowboys were robbing and murdering Mexican citizens at a time when the last thing they wanted to do was stir up what one official called an international controversy, if not war. It was obvious that the Cowboys would strike again. It was obvious that there would be more trouble. Ike Clanton was eager to exact any degree of revenge he could. Many historians agree that Doc is the first to cock his weapon and one of the first to pull the trigger. There's a good chance that if Doc Holliday is not there that day, the gunfight at the OK Corral might never have happened. Right after the gunfight, it seemed almost like the town and like the West as a whole was celebrating. They were considered heroes for taking action against those dirty cowboys. The lines of animosity that were created by that gunfight were far, far deeper uh, 
and potentially lethal than uh, any disagreements that had happened before. Rumors of assassination were everywhere. The Earps were said to be targets along with Doc Holliday. Doc Holliday represents the darkness, the villainy, the inequity that lies inside of all of us. That part of us that we know we need to repress, but is also useful. We are, none of us, born into Eden. The world's plenty evil when we get here. Question is, what's the best way to play a bad hand? John Henry Holiday. All right, now where we left off in part two was uh, at the end of the shootout at the OK Corral when all the shit pretty much hit the fan. Now, at the end of the day, the McLowry brothers and 18-year-old Billy Clanton were the three that were killed. Now, according to Kate's reports, she, which it's still debatable whether or not she was even present, but Doc supposedly returns to his room uh, sits on the side of the bed, puts his face in his hands, you know, just downcast and says, quote, this is just awful. It's awful. And she's basically referring to the fact that he had, you know, taken a couple lives that day or at least one life that day. Now, like I said, this is highly debatable. Kate does say some things, uh, throughout history relating to Doc that, you know, could be, taken as kind of true, kind of not true. So you got to kind of take that with a grain of salt. Now what happens next is Ike Clanton. Uh, he was the one who ran away from the fight. Um, he goes and files an, a, a complaint against Wyatt Earp and Doc Holliday. Now Doc and Wyatt are both arrested and the hearings were held in Justice, uh, Justice of the Peace, uh, Well Spicer's court from November 2nd till November 29th. Now, when Spicer had heard all the testimony, he issued an opinion, and he said, quote, In the view of all the facts and circumstances in the case, considering the threats made, the character and position of the parties, and the tragical results accomplished in manner and form as they were, with all surrounding influences bearing upon the result of the affair, I cannot resist the conclusion that the defendants were fully justified in committing these homicides, and that it was necessary, it was a necessary act done in the discharge of official duty. So, you know, the, the justice of the peace is pretty much saying, hey, look, these guys were justified. This was, they were, you know, I mean, they did several witnesses. They had everybody come up, give their, their testimonies. And after all that, it was says, you know what, this is justifiable homicide. They were, they were in duty of what they were doing. So, this really, really pissed the Cowboys off, okay? 
So on December 28, 1881, at about midnight, Virgil Earp is on his way from the Oriental Saloon to the Crystal Palace. Now, I had heard a separate report that he was on uh, at the Scheifelin Hotel back to the Cosmopolitan. Now, the Earps had moved to either one or the other for mutual support and protection because they did know that the Cowboys and Ike Clanton were out for revenge for killing the McLowrys and the uh and uh Ike Clanton's little brother Billy now the the weird thing about that is the OK Corral um the citizens were split pretty 50 50 it was really weird because all the people within Tombstone uh pretty much heralded them them as heroes um you know they had saved the day because there's all this violence always going on but the other half of them in the little ranches outside of Tombstone, they did not see it that way. They saw the Earp brothers and Doc Holliday as the villains because, you know, they were friendly with the Cowboys and shit like that. And on top of it, the McLowry brothers that were killed, the McLowrys were pretty much seen as everybody. Yeah, they were in cahoots with the Cowboys, but they were also seen as being in the wrong place at the wrong time. So a lot of people took sympathy towards the McLowrys and even young Billy Clanton, who was 18 years old, you know, when he got killed. So you got to understand, like, even though the movies portray it this way, or sometimes history might portray it uh, that way, it was very 50-50 on whether or not the the citizens in and around Tombstone actually liked the Earps and Doc Holliday for what they did. So there was a shitload of tension going on right now, okay? So on December 28th, 1881, at about midnight, uh, Virgil Earp, like I said, it was on his way from one saloon to another. And like I had said, they had moved there for mutual support and protection. Virgil is ambushed by three men with shotguns. Now, two out of the five shots fired that struck Virgil. One of them shattered his left arm and the other other one entered his left side and back by about, he was hit by about 20 pellets worth of buckshot. Now this shattered the humerus in his left arm. Virgil Earp kind of, when he got hit by the bullets, he kind of spun like completely around, but he never left his feet. He stayed on his feet the entire time. And um, Dr. George Goodfellow he was the one who worked on Virgil Earp. He had ended up removing about five and a half inches worth of bone, which is about 140 millimeters. Now, these wounds did cripple Virgil for the rest of his life. Uh, they were very serious wounds, but he was able to walk back to whichever one he was at. Let's say it's the Oriental, where his brother Wyatt was playing poker. Now, the first thing Wyatt did was he telegraphed the U.S. Um, U.S. Marshal Crawley Dake Crawley Dake. Uh, he requested appointment as a deputy U.S. Marshal for uh, Eastern Pima County, and he wanted the authority to form a posse. Now, I'm not going to get into too many details about uh, the shoot, the ambush of Virgil Earp, the shooting of Morgan Earp, and a lot of the details pertaining to the Vendetta ride, because that is going to pertain more to the Earps than it is to Doc Holliday. I will mention the things that Doc Holliday was involved in, but when it comes to the Wyatt uh, Earp episode down the line, I don't want to be redundant and repeat a lot of that information, especially when it doesn't pertain to Doc Holliday. This is, this is Doc's episode, so... Uh, U.S. Marshal Dake replied right away with yes. 
So Wyatt Earp, first thing he did was he deputized his brother, Warren, uh, a guy named Sherman McMaster, a guy named Jack Turkey Creek Johnson, another guy named Harelip Charlie Smith, another guy named Daniel Tipton, a guy named John Texas Jack Vermillion, and of course Doc Holliday is suspected as well to be one of those uh, deputized members. Now what he was looking for was he was looking to protect his family and pursue the suspects, and what he was doing was he was paying these guys $5 per day, which would be in today's money about 100 bucks a day. Now the men responsible for the attack on Virgil were more than likely Ike Clanton, Johnny Ringo, Frank Stilwell, Hank Swilling, Pete Spencer, and Johnny Barnes. Now, some of the men were arrested and brought into court. A number, but what happened was a number of eye, uh, eyewitnesses who were friendly with the Cowboys or even Cowboys themselves swore that the guys that were being charged with the crime we're in Charleston at the time that Virgil was shot, so the judge really had no reason, you know, he had no reason to hold him. He couldn't hold them. He had no choice but to release them because of the eyewitness accounts of them being elsewhere. So in January of 1882, uh, there's this huge rash of crime. There's all kinds of horse thefts. Uh, there's a bunch of stagecoach robberies that are happening. And what's going on is the Earps and Doc Holliday are losing a lot of popularity in Tombstone. And it's mostly due to the feud between the Cowboys and the Earps. And uh, it was also, you know, the series of crimes and shootings that were pretty much pissing everybody off because the Earps had promised that they were going to stop all this. Now, another reason that the townspeople were getting pissed at Doc Holliday and the Earps is because Virgil Earp shooting it happened right in the heart of the business district of Tombstone, and there was a bunch of patrons at a local place uh, right by where Virgil was called the Golden Eagle Brewery, and it, some of those shots barely missed some of the patrons inside there. So they're starting to fear for their own lives because the Earps are targets and basically starting a bunch of shit. And of course, Doc Holliday, being the instigator of a ton of this shit, they also were not liking him very well either. So in January of 1882, um, Deputy Sheriff Breckenridge was out on patrol near the Birdcage one night, the Birdcage Theater. Um, he feels a pistol against his chest, and it's Frank Stillwell, one of the cowboys. Now, Stillwell claimed that he was waiting for someone and bragged that he was going to kill him that night. Now, Breckenridge cautioned Stillwell to go home. Um, he was already out on bail and awaiting trial. So, just a little bit later, Breckenridge finds Doc Holliday. Now, nothing actually happens, obviously, but because Doc Holliday is still here, we don't know the details of that altercation. Now, Ike Clanton later goes and he refiles murder charges against the Earps and Doc Holliday for the slaying of his brother and the McLowry boys. Now, Ike was unable to produce any kind of sufficient evidence, um, so the judge had no choice but to pretty much dismiss all the charges. Now, on January 17, 1882, there is a street standoff between Doc Holliday and Johnny Ringo. Now, if you've seen the movie Tombstone, which I'm pretty sure everybody has, um, there's a lot of writers, and in the movie, you know, Ringo confronts Doc and the Earp brothers. That is not true. Uh, Virgil and Morgan were still uh, recovering from their wounds from the 
from the OK Corral and from uh, Virgil getting ambushed that night um, about a month beforehand or three weeks beforehand. So the thing about it, too, is, is Ringo knew he really wasn't at that much risk. Um, because he knew they wouldn't accept the challenge because there's still all this shit going on. But he was drinking a lot of whiskey that day. He knew that they were having troubles enough with the aftermath, uh, or the aftermath of the gunfight at the OK Corral. Ringo knew all this. So pretty much how it goes down is Ringo steps out into the street to quote unquote have it out with Doc Holliday in a man to man fight. Now, Doc Holliday, being the kick-ass dude that he is, was more than happy to oblige. And he comes out and he he says he'll give Ringo any kind of fight that he wanted. Now, Doc specifically says, he looks at Ringo and he says, and quote, all I want of you is 10 paces out in the street, end quote. So... Uh, one of the townspeople, actually, this was seen by plenty of witnesses, including the the Erps, but the towns. One of the townspeople described it in a uh, in a journal, and he said uh, he described it as quote bad time expected with the cowboy leader and Doc Holliday. I passed both, not knowing blood was up. One with hand in breast pocket, and the other possibly ready. He was referring to Doc Holliday, who was just standing there, just waiting for it to go down. Uh, it says, Erps just beyond, crowded streets, and looked like another battle. Police vigilant for once, and both were disarmed. So if you can imagine, Doc Holliday, he's got one hand in his breast pocket. Uh, he's got the other one on his revolver, ready to shoot. And he straight up tells uh, Johnny Ringo, you know, all I wanted to use 10 paces in the street. He was ready to go right there. Now what happens is James Flynn, who is the acting town marshal at the time, goes and grabs Ringo and held him while Wyatt um, pretty much hustled and got, he got Doc Holliday out of there. Um, and that was pretty much the extent of the confrontation. No shots were fired. Um, like I said, Wyatt, and there was a lot of other people witness to it. Now, according to Karen Holiday Tanner's biography, um, it was recorded in the Journal of a Tombstone Resident, which is what I just read to you. Uh, Doc and Ringo were both arrested for carrying weapons on the street, and Ringo was actually retained on account of existing charges of robbery. Uh, both were fined $30 for carrying concealed weapons, and Doc was eventually released. Now, on January 23rd, 1882, warrants are issued for Ike and Finn Clanton in connection with Virgil Earp shooting, and uh, another guy named Pony Deal, he was uh, had a warrant issued for a stagecoach robbery on January 31st, 1882. Citizens of Tombstone uh, demand a town meeting for the appointment of deputies who were not aligned with either faction of the parties who are now distracting the community. So basically they wanted some kind of law enforcement that was not cowboy related and that was not involved with the Earps. Now the townspeople are telling Wyatt Earp to resign. They don't want him anywhere, you know, around in town. But Wyatt Earp does resign and of course his resignation is quote unquote conveniently ignored. Now, on February 17, 1882, Earp and Company, Doc included, leave Tombstone armed with a warrant for the arrest of a Pony Deal for the suspected stagecoach robbery. 
Now, while it, the robbery was unsuccessful uh, at this time, uh, Earp and Doc, they uh, they heard rumors that the Clanton faction was planning revenge. So, there, like I said, there's still a lot of tension going on. And by March 1882, there are multiple death threats. Um, they're, you know, against Wyatt Earp, Doc Holliday, Morgan Earp, and a guy named Dan Tipton who was riding with them as well. So, I mean, Doc Holliday and the Earps, they're all getting death threats all the time, literally on a daily basis from all these cowboys. So, on March 18th, what happens? March 18th, 1882, uh, Morgan Earp is shot while playing pool uh, with Bob Hatch at Campbell and Hatch's Saloon and Billiard Parlor. It's located right on Allen Street in Tombstone. He is struck in the back, and he ends up dying right there on the pool table while Wyatt is right there beside him. Now, I have heard two separate accounts of the following events. Now, it is known that Morgan Earp and Doc Holliday were also very, very good friends, and some actually suggest that they were better friends than Wyatt himself. They actually got along uh, quite a bit. So, the next, you know, chain of events, the, the one side is that uh, Doc pretty much flips the fuck out. And he goes around kicking in doors to all these fucking places, and he's looking for the killers. And he's telling everybody on the street he's going to kill anybody that's responsible. And at that same time, um, Wyatt swears revenge as well. And um, he and he, Wyatt and Doc then begin, you know, the vendetta ride against the Cowboys, which is what we're about to get into. But I also heard the other side of that story was that um, Wyatt Earp himself actually took a cowboy as a human shield with a gun to his head and went around kicking in doors, doing the same thing, looking for the killers and swearing revenge on whoever killed his brother right then. But what ends up happening is Wyatt enlists the help of Warren Earp, Sherman McMasters, Turkey Creek Johnson, Texas Jack Vermillion, and Doc Holliday. And on March 20th, 1882, Wyatt and his posse escort uh, the Earp wives and Virgil along with Morgan's body. And Morgan's body is actually dressed in one of Doc's tailored suits that he had given, uh, you know, for the burial. And what they're doing is they're going to the railroad station because they're taking, they're, they're letting Virgil and uh, the Earp the wives and they're taking um, Morgan's body out to California, which is where the, the Earp family had lived, like their parents and stuff like that. So what happens is um, Cowboys, Ike Clanton, and Frank Stillwell are at the train station. Now what happens is Wyatt most likely kills Stillwell, who was found with multiple gunshot wounds. Now Wyatt has a shotgun, and how it supposedly goes down is the first the first uh, barrel of the shotgun rips through Stillwell's stomach, spins him around, and the sh second shot almost takes his leg clean off. And from all all reports that I could read, after he was down on the gr on the ground, Doc Holliday walks up and puts two more bullets in him just to make sure he's dead. Now, what happens is a Tucson, Arizona coroner's jury named Wyatt Warner. 
Doc Holliday, Texas Jack, and McMasters as the men who killed Stillwell. Now, Sheriff Behan, while he was there, he attempts to arrest Wyatt Earp and the men, and they pretty much refused to comply and just rode off out of town. Um, Doc and Wyatt both refused to be arrested by Behan for Stillwell's death, um, and a Tucson judge did issue warrants for their arrests. Now, as far as Wyatt was concerned, the man who shot Virgil and killed Morgan were dead men. They did not care. And for Doc Holliday, it was the same thing because those were his friends. And as we all know, Doc Holliday did not have many friends whatsoever. So the only reason that they were going to be living is if they hadn't been found by Doc Holliday and the Earp brothers. And that was the way it was going to be now. The the killing of Stillwell was, was just the beginning, all right? Now, Doc Holliday, like I said, he, he rode beside him the whole way, which is just a staple of his loyalty that he had for the few friends that he did have. Now, on March 22nd, 1881, uh, Wyatt received word that Pete Spencer um, was at his uh, wood camp in the Dragoons. Now, the quote-unquote federal posse rode there and found, uh, they didn't find Pete Spencer there, but they found a guy by the name of what they referred to as Indian Charlie. His real name was Florentino Cruz. Now, he was scared shitless when he saw these dudes ride up and got, you know, they pretty much got him. Now, he named all the men who murdered uh, Morgan Earp, which was himself included. Now, after he confessed to everything and gave all the names, Wyatt Earp, Doc Holliday, and the others just put a lot of bullet holes in that dude and, and shot him up pretty good from what I understand. Now the jury did determine that Cruz had been killed by Wyatt Earp, Warren Earp, Sherman McMaster, Jack Johnson, Doc Holliday, Texas Jack, Dan Tipton, and or another guy named Charlie Smith. Now on March 24th, 1882, Wyatt goes and he kills Curly Bill Brocious with a shotgun during a shootout um, with with a whole bunch of cowboys were there. And it's a place called uh, Burley Springs. Now, the thing about it is, is the exact location of the meeting place is unknown. There's a lot of conflicting reports. One of them is Burley Springs. Another one is Iron Springs. Another one is Cottonwood Springs. But it is thought that the exact location is Iron Springs, located in the Whetstone Mountains. Now, Johnny guy, cowboy named Johnny Barnes and others were also gunned down. Now, according to Doc in a later newspaper interview, uh, his and Wyatt's escape from the shootout is nothing short of miraculous. He indicates that the that the providence uh, that basically God was on their side that day. Now, according to all accounts. And this is not just Wyatt's posse. This is also from cowboy accounts. Um, Wyatt stood his ground during a battle. Like, literally stood there firing while he's getting shot at. Um, you know, we'll get more into detail on that when we do the Wyatt Earp episode. Now, while everyone else took cover during this heavy shootout, um, Doc was the only one that rode forward. Um, Texas Jack was... Uh, he was on his horse and his horse got shot from underneath him. So Doc rode up and under huge, you know, huge amounts of fire, grabbed Texas Jack, put him on his horse and got him out of there. Which, I mean, as we've come to know from Doc Holliday from the first two previous episodes, 
The dude legit had a set of balls. He did not care. He knew he was on borrowed time, didn't care if he lived or died, so this would be totally in his character. Now, on March 25th, 1882, Sheriff Behan forms a posse of 25 men, and they are comprised of all known criminals, and this would include Cowboys, Johnny Ringo, and a bunch of other ones. Um, and what they do is he deputizes them. And he sets them out to find Doc Holliday and Wyatt Earp and all their little posse. And during April, May of 1882, Doc and Wyatt's posse, um, they get, they get provisions. They get a little bit of money. Um, they get some ammo. They get some weapons, fresh horses, and they get that at a guy named Henry Hooker's ranch. Now, <laughs> while they're there, Dick, Doc goes and he fucking he sends off this taunting letter to the to the local newspaper in Tombstone and he's pretty much mocking the entire Sheriff Behan posse. Now, the letter is written out of torn sheets from an account book and it's um it's dated in camp April 4th, 1882 and it's signed and it's signed Quote, yours respectfully, one of them, end quote. And it's so funny because it presents a response to the uh, article in the Nugget, which was on March 31st, which was uncomplimentary of the ERP posse. Now, it's basically the, the, the Tombstone Nugget, um, they were very, very in, in favor of Behan. They were on the cowboy side. So any chance they got, they would totally berate the Earps and Doc Holliday. So that's why Doc went ahead and did that. And it's really funny because in the response, Doc terms the Cowboys and Behan as, quote, honest ranchers. And he does it with a lot of irony. And he, su and he also suggests that there might have been trouble near camp if the Behan posse's, quote, trailing abilities had been, quote, equal to those of the average Arizona ranchman, end quote. And it's so funny because he keeps referring to them as quote-unquote gentlemen. And literally, like, I'm not even quoting this for him. Like, in the letter, Doc purposely quotes these words. And he does that just to mock them because he's, as we all know, he's extremely witty. He's very smart. Now, there is no definitive proof that Doc was the one who wrote these letters. But based on other letters that Doc had written... They're really, all historians agree that there's literally no doubt that Doc was actually the one who wrote these letters because of him being sarcastic and ironic and the way he, he was, uh, he was speaking. He was very, very refined. So, you know, Wyatt and Warren Earp and Doc Holliday did remain in Arizona t territory until April. Uh, they were pretty reluctant to leave. They had been riding over the countryside and uh, they were just hoping to encounter Ringo, Johnny Ringo, Clanton, Spencer, and Swilling. You know, they didn't know where the guys were. And in all actuality, all these, all the dudes were hiding out in Mexico at this point in time. So they were riding for about three weeks. And, uh, you know, the whole vendetta ride in total was about three weeks. Now, with the OK Corral and the events beforehand, starting with the killing of Old Man Clanton, Within about a year's time, the number of cowboy outlaws that had been killed 
were Old Man Clanton, Billy Clanton, Frank McLowry, Tom McLowry, Frank Stilwell, Indian Charlie, Dixie Gray, Florentino Cruz, which is the same guy as Indian Charlie. I don't know why I put both of them in there, but um, Curly Bill Brocious, which his death is still a little bit questionable because supposedly after the gunfight, he was never heard from again. Now, Wyatt Earp and um, somebody else actually came forward in later years and uh, that would include one of the cowboys also said that Wyatt Earp was the one who killed Curly Bill and just gave him a burial out in the middle of nowhere. Um, but technically, he was just never heard from again. So the cowboys, to save a little bit of face, said that he took off to Mexico into hiding. Um, also killed were Johnny Barnes, Jim Crane, Henry Head, Bill Leonard, Joe Hill, Luther King, Charlie Snow, Billy Lang, Zwing Hunt, Billy Grounds, and Hank Swilling. Now, Pete Sw Spencer volunteered to go to the penitentiary for his own safety. He literally volunteered to go to fucking prison. Um, he ended up serving about a year and a half of a five-year sentence and then was let out. Now, most, according to all accounts that I read, Doc Holliday was supposedly responsible for most of these cowboy killings. Um, the rest were split up between Wyatt Earp and um, some of the other guys in the posse. When him and Earp left Tombstone for good, uh, pretty much what they did was they rode their horses to Silver City, New Mexico. They sold them. Uh, they rode a stage to Deming, and on April 15th, they boarded a train for Colorado. Um, and like I said, uh, you know, April 15th, uh, uh, Wyatt Earp and a lot of his guys, they end up going, to, uh, when they get to Colorado, they stay in Trinidad with, uh, Bat Masterson, and from there, they pretty much split up and head their, their separate ways. On April 29th, 1882, Doc Holliday and Dan Tipton, they head to Pueblo, Colorado, and then uh, a little bit further in the future, they head to Denver. Now, in May 1882, while in Pueblo, Colorado, a guy named Perry Mallon approached Doc Holliday for the first time during the second week of May in the Theater Comique in Pueblo, Colorado. Now, this guy, he's a small little bearded guy, and he informed uh, Doc Holliday that the brother of, of Frank Stilwell was looking for Doc and wanted to kill him. Now, Doc Holliday had no fucking reason to doubt this this info because he had lots of people that were out looking to kill him so doc holiday being doc holiday um he asks the guy uh to point out stillwell's brother and this uh this guy mallon refused to do so so about another week later also in 1882 obviously um holiday and two other gamblers had taken a train to denver to attend some horse races now, on uh, May 15th, uh, he was walking near the corner of 16th and Lawrence Streets in Denver, and Holiday was forced to surrender when this guy, Perry Mallon, appeared out of the darkness and leveled two revolvers at him. Now, what ended up happening was Mallon claimed to be a lawman from California, and um, he had the help of a local deputy sheriff named Charles Linton, they escorted Holiday uh, to the sheriff's office. Now, Mallon convinced Linton that Doc was wanted in Arizona Territory for murder and that the reward was offered for his arrest. Now, while he was at the sheriff's office, Mallon kept um, kept the two six-shooters aimed at Holiday the entire time because he was literally scared to death of Doc Holiday. Now, 
Holiday was sitting here protesting, you know, he's like, dude, like, no, this isn't right. There's, and I mean, in all honesty, there really was some warrants out for his arrest for murder. But um, they end up calling for a transport, and they transport him to the county jail. Now, Mallon also goes on and claims that Doc was wanted in Utah Territory as well for the murder of a guy named Harry White, which was said to be this guy's partner-in-law. Well, what ends up happening is that uh, this this Perry Mallon was pretty much a con man. He He's basically telling all these stories about how he's been pursuing Doc Holliday for seven years, and Doc Holliday was the reason he had his middle finger shot off. Now, what happens is they end up finding out that Perry Mallon is totally full of shit, and they let Doc go. Now, what also happens, and not too much longer after that, is Doc, while still in Denver, is taken into custody by a bounty hunter who was hired by the Behan and Cowboy faction. Now, he is arrested for the killing of Frank Stilwell in Arizona, and charges are dropped because Bat Masterson basically creates a bunch of trumped-up charges against Doc Holliday, which would allow him to not be extradited to Arizona. Now, the governor of Colorado, because of these trumped-up charges, ends up um, refusing to honor Arizona's request to extradite uh, Doc Holliday for the murder of Frank Stilwell. Now, I know, as we've come to find out, Bat Masterson, not a huge fan of Doc Holliday. Not a huge fan at all. But what it was, was they had worked together previously. Like, they didn't like each other, but they had a mutual respect for each other. And above that, um, Bat Masterson and Wyatt Earp were very good friends. And Wyatt Earp owed Doc Holliday his life. So, basically, that's how all that went down. While he's uh, in jail, you know, a lot of the newspapers are kind of going back and forth on how to portray Doc while he's in jail. You know, some are calling him a murderer. Others are calling him a just, justified lawman who was deputized. But all of them describe him as well-dressed, usually dressed neatly in black and with a colored linen shirt, uh, tall, slender, delicate, handsome, soft-spoken, sophisticated. Um, he is described as one man as being a man of considerable culture, and uh, another one describes him as having a soft voice and a modest manner. And then you have another one that says, you know, he has these piercing blue eyes. You have yet another one that says, you know, he has this well-defined look of determination, you know, and they describe his hands as being somewhat small and slender. And it's so funny because the report, all these reporters are just like, this is Doc Holliday? They literally describe him as an as an elegant man with a polite and refined personality. And it's so funny because when they actually see him for the first time compared to what his reputation was, they're just like, There's 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 no fucking way. Like this guy there's there's no way this is Doc Holliday. So it's it's really interesting to read different accounts on Doc Holliday throughout the years, especially in this time period when his reputation was so fucking vast. And speaking of his reputation, I mean, even the people in Georgia um, did not know about the shooting at the OK Corral. Now, even though Doc was technically justified, he was with the posse and he was with the Earps when they did this, 
they made it a point. Now, we don't know if it was actually Doc Holliday himself or his dad that did it, but they purposely left the shooting at the OK Corral out of the newspapers so that Doc Holliday's family name would not, you know, look bad, basically. Now, like I said, I've, I've read plenty of things that say it was Doc Holliday that, that lettered or sent a telegraph ahead and was like, listen, this is what happened. Keep this out of the papers because I don't want my family to look bad. I've also read other accounts to where it was his dad who purposely did it after he had found out ahead of time from Doc Holliday. So we're not exactly sure about, uh, you know, about how that goes. But while he's in jail in Denver, um, Doc is defending himself. He's doing a lot of interviews and he pretty much talks about the conspiracy, you know, by Sheriff Behan and the Cowboys and all this other shit. And pretty much after all this legal maneuverings that Bat Masterson uh, is doing, he helps Doc get released on bail. And it's really weird because this is the one time that Bat Masterson actually makes statements to defend Doc Holliday's character. And he says, quote, I tell you all of this talk is wrong about Holiday. I know him well. He is a dentist and a good one. So it's kind of defending his character, but it's kind of saying, okay, he's kind of a piece of shit guy, but he's a hell of a good dentist. But he's also kind of saying, you know, you guys are saying this dude's a stone cold killer, but he's not. Like, it's all rumors and all this other shit. So, I mean, it was kind of defending him, kind of not. You know what I'm saying? So, you know, that was pretty interesting. Now, in June 1882, Doc meets up with Wyatt Earp in Gunnison. Now, while he's there, he is interviewed briefly by a reporter. Uh, and at first, Doc tells him, uh, quote, I'm not traveling about the country in search of notoriety. And I think you newspaper fellows have already had a fair hack at me, end quote. Now, he does answer a few questions about the background and the recent troubles in Denver, you know, with his arrest and a lot. I mean, that was a really huge deal at the time. Now, he does kind of mention he's smiling while he mentions uh, the bounty hunter that was hired by Behan and had left town four days before he was released from jail. And he indicates his intention to, you know, mind his own business and let others do the same. And again, this journalist, a total separate one, describes him as having piercing dark blue eyes and being dressed all in black, which, you know, which was pretty signature of Doc Holliday for the most part. In July of 1882, Doc reunites with Wyatt just outside Salida, Colorado. Um, Wyatt and Doc's many newspaper interviews at this time, uh, may have been part of an attempt to establish their whereabouts legitimately, but they appear disappeared from public view abruptly that July. Now check this out. Now I've heard all three days. It's either July 13th, 14th, or 18th. Like I said, I had read all three dates, 1882. A guy named John Yost, who is bound for a place called Morse's Sawmill, discovers a dead man in West Turkey Creek Canyon, east of the Dragoon, Dragoon Mountains. I don't know why that word is so hard to say, but... Now, the body was sitting uh, in the intertwined limbs of an oak tree, 
and there was a bullet that had entered the right temple and exited through the top of the head, and uh, the gun supposedly used was a Colt revolver. Now, the dead man was one of the famous cowboys, Johnny Ringo. Now, Yost quickly notified the sheriff of the grizzly find, which um, technically... Uh, suicide was suggested by some members of the coroner's jury, but most people disagreed. They did not agree on uh, who had shot him, only that somebody had shot him. What they say happened is that Wyatt Earp and Doc Holliday returned to Arizona and had uh, a rendezvous with a few friends named uh, Fred Dodge, Oregon Smith, Johnny Green, John Meager, and one other probably by the name of Lou Cooley. Now, they were near Henry Hooker's ranch. Now, a short time later, they all had taken the trail towards Galleyville. Now, Johnny Ringo had been spotted while camped on Turkey Creek, and when he ran up a canyon, Wyatt had shot him. Uh, the body had been placed between the oak trees. Uh, Bat Masterson, War Earp, and some newspaper friends helped establish alibis for Wyatt Earp and Doc Holliday, Things they said and wrote made it appear as if Wyatt and Doc had never left Chicago. They really don't know if Johnny Ringo committed suicide. The official ruling was a suicide. But a lot of people say that Wyatt Earp killed him. A lot of people say that Doc Holliday killed him. They Nobody really knows. But it's pretty much all agreed by historians that the suicide was not the cause of death. Because... For one, his hat was still on his head when he was found up against this tree. His gun belt was on upside down. Uh, one of the guns was sitting on the other side of his body. So it is pretty much agreed upon that he was killed, but nobody really knows by who. And because of all these alibis, you know, it's it's hard telling. But some histori historians believe, you know, like I said, that Ringo committed suicide. And, um, and that Doc was in Pueblo, Colorado at the time of his death. Now, Karen Holiday Tanner, she does point out in her book that Doc was not in Pueblo at the time. Now, the reason that they say he was in Pueblo, Colorado at this time is because he was supposed to be in court on July 11th. They say that he did show up in court himself, but... In all actuality, an, an attorney appeared on his behalf that day. The wording of the court was that, that they said in propera persona, which means in his own proper person. Now, that was standard legal filler text at the time, and that didn't actually mean that the person was there at all. Now, you also got to consider the fact that uh, the Pueblo charge, which he was Doc was charged for larceny at that point in time, and that was a fake charge. That was trumped up. That was one of the charges that was trumped up by Bab Masterson to provide an obstacle, you know, for his extradition back to Arizona. So, so even though the authorities were unaware of this, they had no real urgency for him actually to be there to face like a bogus charge. You know, there's no question that the case was continued or continued more than once, and all of the times it was continued is because Doc was not present at the court at that time. 
and it is stated that Doc for sure did arrive in Salida on July 7th because a newspaper reported his arrival in town. Now, Karen T- Holiday Tanner does believe that he met there with Wyatt and others just west of town that day. Now, this account is based on statements supposedly made by Josie Marcus Earp, which was uh, Wyatt's wife at the time. Now, Doc's next document appearance was in Leadville on July 18th, which was the very date that his bogus Pueblo court case was again continued. So if Doc did kill Ringo, Wyatt may have claimed the killing himself to protect Doc's reputation since Doc had no legal authority to actually kill Johnny Ringo, and Wyatt did at this point. So there's a lot of speculation that Wyatt did claim to kill Johnny Ringo just to protect Doc Holliday from being incarcerated and protect his reputation. We, Like I said, we, nobody really knows the circumstances of Johnny Ringo's death, okay? But Wyatt Earp did accept responsibility for the death of Johnny Ringo. And um, Karen Holiday Tanner also goes on to point out that he did have the means, he had the motive, he had the opportunity, and a confession that would convict in most courts, which Wyatt Earp did later on confess to it. So, you know, there's that little bit of information for you. Now, in 18, a little bit later on, 1882, um, <clears throat> the Tombstone Trouble is pretty much over with by now. Um, and Doc, in Leadville, Colorado, no bullshit, dying of TB, okay? And he's down to literally about 122 pounds at this point in time. He helps fight a fire, in Leadville, Colorado, and he has they all the people who were involved in it said he pretty much showed no regard for his own personal safety while he was fighting this fire. Um, so I thought that was a really cool fact to throw in there about him being in Leadville, Colorado, because around this time period, he's really traveling between uh, Leadville, Pueblo, and Denver. He's going back and forth quite a bit. Now in 1883-84, you know, he's back in Colorado, like I said, he's he has several bouts um, with pneumonia at this point in time, which, and it affects his tuberculosis, and it leaves him like really, really emaciated, um, and he's very, very weak. Like I said, he had dropped from about 160 pounds down to about 120 pounds, and right now, at this point in his life, he's very, very dependent on laudanum, which is like a liquid painkiller. It's like an opiate. Uh, he's drinking a lot of whiskey. A lot of reports say he's drinking up to two quarts of whiskey a day. Um, now, Big Nosed Kate goes on to say, no, he would only sip a little bit of whiskey throughout the day to ease the pain. Several eyewitnesses who knew Doc Holliday straight up said, man, this guy was literally pounding whiskey as fast as he could drinking laudanum because he was literally in so much pain from tuberculosis but what happens is holiday ends up going back to leadville um and he's pretty much living quietly there for a long time and he until he runs into some old enemies he runs into johnny tyler and billy allen what happens is billy allen is armed and he's making threats he's saying he's going to kill doc holiday he's telling everybody in town all this so doc holiday is on all points he's paranoid as shit let alone he's like totally fucked up out of his mind and trying to like ease the pain of his tuberculosis the best he can so on august 19th 1884 holiday goes into hyman's saloon 
and he placed himself at the end of the bar because he had seen Billy Alley, Billy Allen walking down, um, walking down the sidewalk. So as soon as Billy Allen crossed the threshold, um, Holiday leveled his revolver and fired, and he hit Allen in the right arm. Now Allen fell to the floor, and he's screaming. So Doc Holiday rushes, and he goes back behind the cigar case, and he leaned over, and he fires again, and the second bullet barely misses Allen's head, just by a little bit, just by a little bit. And um, Doc leveled his revolver again, getting ready to take another shot, and uh, a couple guys in the bar pretty much disarmed him, um, you know, tackled him to the ground or whatever. Now, what it was, Doc had borrowed, you know, five bucks, I think it was, from from uh, Billy Allen, and he had not paid it back, and Billy Allen straight up told him, he's like, if you don't give me my five dollars back, I'm gonna fucking kill you, and that's pretty much where all that came from. Doc explains his actions to the paper the next day, you know, and he is, a, he, and he does get arrested, he does, and he's able to establish in the court that his life was threatened. Now, he was later exonerated of the shooting, and it was a ruled self-defense, and his basic defense was like, listen, you know, he literally went in there, and he's like, listen, this guy has been threatening to kill me all over town. He outweighs me by 50 pounds. He basically says something to the effect of, you know, I would be a baby in his arms if he got a hold of me. Like, I had no other choice, and it actually works. He ends up getting off on self-defense charges. Now, there were a lot of people who were surprised that Doc was found not guilty by the jury. No one could recall that Doc was extremely ill at this point, and Doc had not ever cared about his life, and because he was so ill, they could have gone either way. You know, they really, they, for people who were there, they said that they don't remember Doc Holliday actually being that ill, you know, so it was, it was a very 50-50 outcome. Uh, when Doc was found not guilty by the jury. So, you know, at this point, like I said, Doc keeps traveling back and forth between Leadville and Denver. He's in Denver because of his reputation and his legal problems there in the past. The law enforcement truly fucking hates him. They do not like this dude whatsoever. Now, in 1886, um, according to some sources, he sees Wyatt Earp for the last time at the Windsor Hotel in Denver, Colorado. Now, Josie Earp um, goes on to report that the emaciated doc was uh, a continue. He had a continuous cough and is so weak that he can't even stand steadily at this point. In Holiday Tanner's biography um, about Doc Holiday, um, she really doesn't say anything about that. But um, what is known is that uh, Wyatt was traveling with Josephine Sarah Marcus um, as his wife, which, as we know, that was Josie. Um, and they were in and out of Colorado in 1884 and 1885, and he was operating a saloon at that time in Aspen. But while he was in town in those years, he never really made any kind of effort to get a hold of Doc Holliday, even though he knew that he was in Denver. Now, when they did meet at the Denver Hotel in 1886, um, Josephine, it's really the only account of their last goodbye. Uh, She says that the Earps were sitting at the lobby when they saw, quote, a thinner, more delicate appearing Doc Holliday than I had seen in Tombstone, end quote. And he was walking towards Wyatt and Josie. Now, Wyatt immediately got up to greet him, and they sat down nearby and talked for a while. And Doc Holliday says, you know, when I heard you were in Denver, 
Uh, I wanted to see you once more, for I can't last much longer. You can see that. Now, Josie says, quote, My husband was deeply affected by this parting from a man who, like an ailing child, had clung to him as though to derive strength from him. Which is a very, very weird way to twist Doc Holliday. Like, he was dependent on Wyatt Earp like a child to a father, which I really didn't appreciate that. And I'm not sure... She was very weird in later interviews with with Wyatt Earp, and and when we do the Wyatt Earp episode, you'll you'll know exactly what I'm talking about. She says, quote, There were tears in Wyatt's eyes when at last they took leave of each other. Doc threw his arm across his shoulder and said, quote, Goodbye, old friend. It will be a long time before we meet again. And they parted, and they never saw each other again. Now, in August of 1886, after Denver authorities arrested Holiday for vagrancy, um, he returned to Leadville, uh, where he still had had friends, only a couple. And in May of 1887, um, he did go to Glenwood Springs, Colorado. And he, what he was doing was he was he went to Glenwood Springs, Colorado, because there were some sulfur vapors there. His health is getting very, very bad at this point in time, and it was stated by a lot of people who had suffered from tuberculosis that they could go to the hot springs in Glenwood Springs and, uh, you know, inhale the sulfur vapors, and that would help ease their tuberculosis. In all actuality, it worked the exact opposite way. It actually, um, it actually sped up his, his health problems, and it, and it made him a lot sicker. And what he did, uh, there was no sanitarium there for anybody suffering from tuberculosis, so he ends up going to uh, the Glenwood Ho- or the Hotel Glenwood, and um, and this was a hotel that catered to those that were hoping to be healed, you know, healed by the Yampa Hot Springs. In all actuality, nothing could be done for Doc at this point in time, as tuberculosis was far advanced. Um, for a very short while, he actually still tries dealing pharaoh, but by September, he is just too weak and he becomes bedridden. While he's in bed, I mean, he's getting sores. Uh, the tuberculosis is basically eating his body from the inside out. The dude is in so much pain. And um, this terminal stage of tuberculosis is described by a 19th century physician. And he says, quote, the em- emaciation... Uh, is frightful, and the most mournful change is witnessed. The cheeks are hollow, rendering the expression harsh and painful. The eyes are commonly sunken in their sockets, and often look morbidly bright and staring. At this point, throat ulcers made made eating difficult, and speech was limited to a hoarse whisper. Uh, once, once the distinctive graveyard cough began, diagnosis was certain and death inevitable. Rarely he wrote life wasted to the most feeble spark, and it goes out almost insensibly. Now, more typically, they would have severe stomach cramps, excessive sweating, a choking sensation, vomiting, blood. I mean, just the most painful, one of the most painful, excruciating deaths you could ever imagine at this point. And, And Doc Holliday's going through this. Now, he spent the last... 57 days of his life in bed um, in a half comatose state 
um, and he was delirious for 14 of them. Uh, the delirium was more than likely induced and uh, intensified by the combination of the extreme uh, illness that he was suffering from and his addiction to laudanum, which obviously Doc can't take himself. So Kate is uh, providing him, you know, laudanum in order to ease his pain. And Doc does run out of money, but Kate takes money out of her savings. She takes all the money that she has to help support him in his final days. Now, I did read one report. Actually, I read it a couple different places. Um, whether it's confirmed or not, I tried my hardest to uh, to find out. But it is saying in these last 57 days in his delirious and comatose state that most of the people who would bring dinner up to Doc Holliday were greeted with two pistols pointing at them and Doc ready to shoot them because he had no clue what was going on, but he was still so used to living that life that he figured somebody was walking in the door to kill him every time somebody would do anything, just bringing up food to him. So, on the morning of November 8th, 1887, John Henry Holiday, known as Doc, awakens, and he's clear-eyed, he's clear-headed, and he asks for a glass of whiskey, and it was given to him, and he drank it down, with enjoyment, very slowly. And then he looks down at his feet, and he says, quote, this is funny. And then he dies at the age of 36. Now, Doc Holliday claimed that he almost lost his life a total of nine times. Four attempts were made to hang him, and he was shot at in a gunfight or from ambush five times. Um, his few remaining belongings were sent back to Georgia along with a straight razor, a, a small knife, uh, some gambling items, and the Holiday family did receive Doc's trademark diamond stock pin, but when they did get it, the diamond was gone. I know a lot of you are wondering why he looked down at his feet his final days and literally his last words were, this is funny. Because of, of the life that Doc Holiday lived, um, he thought that he was going to die with his boots on. He purposely made it his goal to die in a gunfight. He wanted to go out, he wanted to go out quick, and it it just never happened. So when he looked down, took his final breaths, and, and looked at his feet, he, you know, he never thought for a second that he would die, uh, die in a bed. So... Um, Holiday ends up uh, going to be buried in Linwood Cemetery, which is uh, on the top of a smaller mountain overlooking Glenwood Springs. Now, Holiday did die in November, and the grounds may have been frozen, and a lot of authors do speculate that um, it would have been impossible to transport him to the, to the cemetery, which was only accessible by one road up the side of the mountain, all right? And a lot of reports that I read... Because they wouldn't have been able to get him up the side of that mountain because of the weather being so bad, um, they actually buried him at the base of the mountain and they were going to transport him in the spring when um, all the snow had melted and the ground was softer and he was able to be buried. And what happened when springtime came around is that they just pretty much left him there. So if you know anybody that lives around the base of Limwood Cemetery that overlooks Glenwood Springs. If, if there's houses or residential, some kind of anything around there, um, there's a good chance that Doc Holliday is buried somewhere 
near there. Nobody really knows. Now, granted, there are a lot of authors um, nowadays that say that, well, you know, it probably didn't happen because there's other accounts of other people being buried that exact same time of year, and they got up the mountain just fine. I, as you guys know, I always go by what I read more of, and there are more accounts from people who were there that say, you know, he was buried at the base of the mountain and he was actually left there. Nobody came back to bury him uh, the following spring. So, and I think, you know, I'm going to end, you know, this, this huge three-part series of Doc Holiday that literally took me for fucking ever, and I'm sorry about that. But I want to end on a quote from Virgil Earp. Um, Virgil Earp and Doc Holliday weren't that good of friends, okay? They, uh, you know, they were acquaintances. But Virgil was also known as a very fair man. A very fair man and a very honest man. And he knew Doc about as good as anybody else did, any of the Earp brothers. And in May of 1882, when he's doing an interview with the Arizona Daily Star, Virgil Earp had this to say about Doc Holliday. There was something very peculiar about Doc. He was gentlemanly, a good dentist, a friendly man, and yet, outside of us boys, I don't think he had a friend in the territory. Tales were told that he had murdered men in different parts of the country, that he had robbed and committed all manner of crimes. And yet, when persons were asked how they knew it, they could only admit that it was hearsay and that nothing of the kind could really be traced to Doc's account. He was a slender, sickly fellow, but whenever a stage was robbed, or a row started, and help was needed, Doc was one of the first to saddle up his horse and report for duty. I thought that was one of the coolest things that I read about Doc Holliday, and I think it's probably one of the more honest things that I've read about Doc Holliday. So there you have Doc Holliday's life. I hope you guys enjoyed it. And um, it's just really, for me personally, this was a really interesting thing to do. Because, you know, the mystery in this, you know, mysterious circumstances. You know, there's no him faking his death. There was nothing like that. I think for me it was more of finding out who he really was. Getting rid of all the tall tales all the shit that everybody else said about him, you know, all the things that were in the movies, you know, all that shit, and actually getting down to the brass tacks of who Doc Holliday really was, and I thought that was, like, so interesting and super fun to learn about. Don't get me wrong, it was a very daunting task, okay? But at the same time, it was worth every single second that I put into it. And um, I hope you all appreciate this this series of episodes and i do apologize part three took so long you know i do have an everyday life just so you know i've been recording episodes the whole time i was fact checking this research uh speaking of research cammy Catherine, katie thank you thank you thank you so much for the information that you guys sent me i basically combined it all mushed it all together um sorry ladies i did fact check you um, that's kind of what took so long and I'm, I'm always going to be that person. Um, but you guys literally, uh, with the exception of a couple dates that were different, you did a fucking amazing job and I cannot thank you ladies enough. Um, just so everybody knows 
mcpodcast.threadless.com. Doc Holiday merchandise will only be on sale for seven more days. So stop in there, check out what I got. I got some pretty badass merch in there, some cool Doc Holiday shit. So I suppose with all that being said, I'm your Huckleberry. Now that I'm done with that, I get to relax for a minute and uh, read some reviews. Let's see, first one we got here is from Canada. It's five stars from Spooky Matter. It says, always interesting and entertaining. More Wild West. Thanks, Justin. Uh, Spooky Matter, thank you. Um, I love it when people from other countries, whether, you know, I mean, you guys are just, uh, you know, our neighbors to the north, but I love it when other countries get into the... Uh, you know, get into the Wild West shit, too. It's super fucking cool. I love it. Um, let's see what else we got. That one was from Canada. These are from Australia. We got X Shot X, five stars. Good work from down under. Good research and stories. No complaints here. Keep up the good work and can't wait for the Ned Kelly series. And then she, or she or he gave me some thumbs up emojis. And I am, I, I really hope, Australia pulls through with about seven more reviews here because uh, I really want to do that Ned Kelly series really fucking bad. Um, but I need ten reviews in order to do it. So next one is Mr. GTRX, five stars. It says five stars isn't enough. Justin does a great job with his research and tries to make sure everything is accurate. It's like a best friend telling you a story and uh, gets you involved in the story. Not for sensitive people because he does swear occasionally, which is more telling of how involved he gets with his research and less dependent on notes. Keeps up the Keep up the great work, and if you're ever in Australia, we'll have a few drinks. And then I got smiley face emoji and a cheers emoji. And, uh, you know, goddamn well, we're gonna have more than a few drinks, man. We're gonna go paint the fucking town. I'm not exactly sure where you're from, um, but I will say this. Justin is planning a trip down under, um, here more than likely in about nine months or so. So, um, I'm not gonna say specifically where yet. Uh, I will be down in the southern portion, though. Um, but yeah, I plan on being there for a couple weeks, hopefully. Should be, should be a pretty good time. Alright, next up, going to the USA where we got a bunch. Claire B. Free, five stars, says one of the best. Love this show. Wide range of fascinating topics. Meticulously researched, unscripted, yet thorough and direct. Justin is an amazing host who really knows his stuff and sincerely appreciates his listeners. His podcast feels like hanging out with an old friend. Highly recommended. Goddamn, Claire B. Free. I, I, don't, I don't know who you are, but me and you are friends now. We just became friends. Oh my god, when I saw this one in, I loved it too. This one's from Mama Bruce. 
Mysterious Circumstances rocks. My sons gave a shout out to you on their Out of Hand podcast, which you guys heard the promo for um, earlier. Definitely check it out. If you want something a little change of pace, it's not, um, you know, true crime, anything, just something daily, man. Um, it's, it's really fucking good. I enjoy it. Um, but she said, um, you know, I searched you out. I've listened to several of your podcasts and really enjoy them. Can't wait for the last Doc Holiday episode and the Wyatt Earp ones. Uh, keep up the great work. I'm a devoted new listener. And then it says, I heard you like emojis. I fucking love emojis. And then she dropped me some. Thank you, Mama Bruce. God, I'm going to come down there south and visit you one of these days. All I ask for is one of two things. Either peach pie or rhubarb pie. That's that's it. That's literally fucking it. And uh, we'll be good to go. But uh, thank you very much for, for doing that. I appreciate that. Oh, next up what we got here. Life on the Plantation. Oh, I know who that is. It says, podcast is exceptional. Five stars. Do you want mystery? Do you want paranormal? Do you want true crime? Do you want Hollywood in the Wild West? Yes then this is podcast is for you. For Justin, no topic is too big and no story too small. His research digs deep, his theories are intriguing, and his delivery is like a conversation with a friend over a cold one. I adore this guy and highly recommend his volume of outstanding work. And you are fucking awesome. I know exactly who this is. This is my friend Mar Woods. And then she gave me a bunch of emojis. I fucking love it. God. I fucking love MC Nation. I love you guys. You're the fucking greatest listeners I could ever ask for. Alright, next up. Thomas High 3, I think. Yeah, Thomas High. Not 100% sure, but we're good. We're just going to call you Thomas. Um, says 5 stars. Um, Excellence. One of my co-workers got me started on this podcast a few months ago, and I love almost everything Mysterious Circumstances puts out. The amount of knowledge, research, and information in this podcast always keeps me entertained. I can't wait to hear more. Currently enjoying the Doc Holiday episodes since he was from not far away from where I grew up. Well, fuck yeah, that is goddamn awesome. Thomas, thank you very, very much, man. appreciate that. Um... Next one is from Froststorm1017. Five stars. Different topics than other podcasts. I like Justin's voice as well as he covers topics not covered by other podcasts. I also like his guests. I was hooked by the Jesse James and Marilyn Monroe podcasts. I thought I knew everything about Marilyn, but I learned uh, about the history and politics behind her story. I feel a lot more compassion once um, once uh, I learned the backstory of historical persons. Froststorm, I tell you what, I agree with you 110%. I did not know Marilyn Monroe very well before I uh, decided to do those episodes. And in learning about her and her history, um, I just have, I mean, I had respect for her before, you know, not as much. I'll be perfectly honest. I thought she was a, you know, a blonde bombshell, dumb you know, and I couldn't have been more wrong. She was a fucking amazing woman. Um, same thing with Jesse James, you know, uh, you know, you got to put yourself in his context in, in, in that historical setting, that dude did not have many options on how he was going to turn out, you know, and you know, it is what it is, and don't get me wrong, I'm not, not uh, justifying anything Jesse James did. He was a cold-blooded killer, but he was also raised 
by violence. And, you know, sometimes we are products of our environment. Next one, uh, we got Mingwo1. Uh, five stars says, listen to this podcast. This podcast is an awesome hodgepodge of all things mysterious. Justin is great with words and keeping things entertaining. He's the godfather of research, and I cannot get enough. I haven't listened to an episode that I disliked, and I know there's much more to come. I don't usually rate and review, but you help me with my anxiety, and you're worth the time. Thanks so much, Melinda. Melinda, thank you so much. And um, to be honest with you, doing this podcast helps a lot with my anxiety as well, even though... When I get behind on episodes, my anxiety goes through the motherfucking roof, and I, uh, you know, kind of internally fucking scream, uh, you know, on a regular basis, but um, it helps me. It keeps my mind going. It keeps me concentrated on certain topics, um, so it definitely helps me, too, and I'm really glad to hear that it helps you. Um, thank you so, so much. Um, this one says, I am Atticus Finch. <laughs> I like that. Kill a Mockingbird, people, if you don't know. Um, see, we got five stars. Says, made my day. What a find. Stumbled upon this pod, and now I'm hooked. Can't wait for episode three of Doc Holiday. Big Western fan. Research is spot on. Binged all day, and thanks for making my day a little brighter. Hey, you know what? I am more than happy to make, you know, make your day brighter. Just hearing stuff like that just makes my day brighter. So thank you very, very much for taking the time to leave that, and... Historical figures-wise, like I said, we have Wyatt Earp coming up at the end of this month. Um, and there will be a badass woman Wild West figure coming up in uh, December, I think, is when we're going to work that one in. And you guys are going to fucking love that just as much as the other Wild West episodes, because this chick was legit so, thank you very, very much. Um, next one is five stars from Mama Carrie. Says, five stars, great job on the podcast, Justin. I enjoy your subjects and research in each episode. Mama Carrie, you are very welcome. Honey. Thank you. Or wait, unless that's the guy spelling of Carrie. I'm not sure. No, wait, it says Mama. Never mind. I'm a fucking idiot. <laughs> yeah, so, uh, you're very welcome, Mama Carrie. Um I, I enjoy doing this, so thank you very, very much for, for um, you know, acknowledging that. Um, this one is a CCNFRN, um, five stars, Doc Holiday says, love the Doc Holiday story, you definitely have a great storytelling ability, can't wait for number three. Uh, sorry number three took so long, but I hope you enjoy it, um, and thank you very much for taking the time to leave that. This one is from Chris Sloan, Harley-Davidson, five stars, great PC, love this podcast, and it's raw form, Justin pulls no punches, and is who he is, hoping to hear the bonus about Wyatt Earp, you will definitely hear the bonus about uh, Wyatt Earp, that is for sure, um, and the last one, I'm not sure if I read this one last time or not, it's been a long time since I put out an episode, um, this one is from uh, McCann, B80, five stars, best podcast from Sweden. It says, I love this podcast. I think it is one of the best and interesting podcasts around. Justin, dude, you kick ass. On the contrary, you kick ass. 
And thank you so much for taking the time to leave those five star reviews. You know, if you, if, if, you know, if you, we all get in tough times, okay? So, you know, let me just put this out. Like, one of the best ways to support the show is just spreading the word. You know, leave a five star review, leave a, you know, say something nice. You know, if you got a coworker that's, that's into, you know, the paranormal, say, hey man, I know this podcast. You might dig this episode on, you know, Maurice Therio's demonic possession. Um, you know, or you got a friend who's obsessed with the Wild West, be like, hey dude, you really want to know about Jesse James? Fucking listen to this shit. You know, um, you know, just stuff like that. If you're on Facebook, if you're in a group or something, and you know, and and somebody says, hey, what's a new podcast you've been listening to? You know, or you're on Twitter, you know, I, I have Twitter, I never advertise it, but I'm at Podcast MC, you know, and, it, you know, just be like, hey, give me a shout out, dude. I fucking talk to everybody. I'm very interactive. Granted, some days are busier than others, not gonna lie, but I always try to be interactive as possible, and, you know, that's some of the best shit you can do for me. So, um, thank you all very, very much, and um, I'll see you folks on the flip side.